Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. The intro song, Fishing for Pets, is written and composed by Alan Goldscher from his latest release, Live at the Lakeview Lounge. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Today, our guest is Cameron Hajazi, the founder of Scent, a social network for NFT artists. Cameron created Scent in 2017, allowing some of the biggest NFT artists in the world today to share their art and build a community. Scent also made headlines when Twitter founder Jack Dorsey used the site to mint his first tweet as an NFT that later sold for more than $2 million. Cameron talks about that event, his experience running an NFT marketplace on Scent that he had to shut down, and the current state of digital art and the artists involved. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Cameron. Cameron, thank you so much for being on the Alts Podcast today. Really excited to, to talk to you. you. You know, you've been a builder in the NFT space for a while right, in terms of like community, the social network. So thanks again for coming on. Yeah, really excited to be chatting with you. You know, we were talking a little bit before we hit that record button and, uh, you know, we're talking about NFT collections and things like that. And I see that you guys actually have like a, a collection, you know, a curated collection of, you know, like you put a spotlight on artists and they have their NFTs that people can collect and I actually have started collecting those NFTs because I think that they, they look real cool. You know, so uh, I like what you guys do with artists and what you're building in the community. I just want to throw that out there. I appreciate that. And, I, I, you know, we do a lot with artists in the space. Are you referring to our doodles or our free to collect collection? Because that's something that we've been pushing out a little bit. Yeah, I get those emails as a reminder, like, hey, you know, we got we released this. And so you put a spotlight on an artist and, and you click a button and you have an NFT. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm excited to keep working with creators and, and kind of exploring that capacity. You know, so much of the NFT space is heavily financialized and that's cool and all. Like, it's cool to really be making money on primary sales, but we're really trying to experiment with what's possible when you make the primary free and then leave it up to the secondary if there's any commercial activity around it. Yeah, you know, that secondary is a very interesting thing, right? Because Everyone benefits, I guess, if you sell it, if you're selling for a profit and then it's always good to get the artist out there, right? The artist is going to be benefiting in perpetuity. Um, creators are very excited about that aspect of it. Yeah. And, and on that point of reach, you know, I think the Web2 analogy would be something like a creator doesn't want a paywall, right? They don't want to have to hide their content behind a paywall because they want it to be spread as far and wide as possible. And I think there might be a similar analogy in Web3 where, you know, maybe it's going to be to the creator's benefit to have as many holders of their work as possible. And that's kind of the experiment. You've been in the space, you've been building the space as far as scent goes, I believe since about maybe 2018, 2019? 2017, yeah. 2017, okay. You've been in the space for a while and I've listened to, you know, a couple of your interviews from five years ago, which seems like forever ago. And the space has changed. The things that you're talking about now that you were talking about five years ago, now it's almost like they're given. Yeah. How have you experienced that change in those five years? Yeah. Oh, wow. What a crazy time it's been. Five years ago, Web3 wasn't even a buzzword. And the idea of Web3 social wasn't really part of the mainstream lexicon. 
Steam it was around back then, which I think is subsequently rebranded, but that was like a incentivized, you know, blogging platform and much more scammy alternatives, which I won't get into, but most of which relied on advertising and funneled that money to the creators on them. We started sent with the initial vision that we could create a social network that take all the actions that users do that generate value for typically the platform and funnel that value back to the people who've created it. And so we had actions like following, subscribing, commenting, posting, like everything you would expect in a normal social network, but we'd wrap incentives around them. And so one of the easiest examples is our incentivized upvote system where you would give money to a piece of content to upvote it. And then if someone came after you and gave money in a form of an upvote, you got a piece of that as a curator, right? And so you're giving, but you're also receiving. And so there's an act of curation happening there and you get rewarded for it. And that was the field that we were experimenting in, wrapping money around these interactions. And between when we started in 2017 and around 2018, 2019, a change happened and that was that NFTs were introduced through CryptoKitties uh, and a variety of other early projects. But it was actually our community, people who were rallying around this idea of earning an income that pointed us in the direction of NFTs. They said, hey, look, we can sell our art using this new tool. And a lot of them talked about it on Scent. They would share the projects that they're working on, the collections that they were dropping. And that's how we really first caught wind of NFTs was through the community. And so still the sleeping giant, right? Like the NFTs were like the, the micro community was like buzzing and, you know, there's a lot of action happening on scent. And this was before crypto Twitter really took off. This was before discord was even like a, a community tool. And then all of a sudden, you know, the explosion happened in 2020 and, and things really started picking up, you know, nifty gateway sales volume foundation, all these other platforms, right? They really started to capitalize on the NFT marketplace side of things. Oh, and OpenSea, obviously. Um, and, and yeah, it, it was just beautiful to kind of see that concept get so validated in the market, right? Digital ownership. People are finally getting past the idea of, well, what is it that I'm actually owning, right? Yeah. We understand what ownership means in the physical world. And now we're finally embracing it in the, in the digital. And so you know, digital ownership was, in essence, like our motivation, right? But we just didn't know how to capture it when we first started Scent. And we've obviously evolved and like been in tune with what people want and what they want to pay for. And so, yeah, and now we're sort of deeply embedded in the NFT space. Let's maybe fast forward a little bit. I mean, you you had gained traction, right, over over the years. And then if I can say, you know, you guys definitely blew up when you were able to mint tweets, when you had this idea of minting the tweets, where did that idea come from? So originally we actually wanted to add NFTs to our own social network, but we were just kind of like, man, this is like, it's such a microcosm, right? We can reach so many more people and show so many more people that they can all be NFT creators too, right? There doesn't have to be this high barrier to entry. Really NFTs are a wrapper for your creative process, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're painting, whether you're writing your masterpiece or whether you're making a tweet, right? And so it was like, okay, this is a great reduction. And we prototyped it in literally a month, in the month of November of 2020, November to December, we went from zero to product live. And then it kind of made its way around crypto Twitter 
Uh, and eventually, like, you know, one big name after another, after another, until somehow it came across Jack Dorsey's timeline. And then, you know, obviously that was that was sort of the apex. And there's arguably no more valuable of a tweet than the first tweet. And so uh, it was really cool to see that progression happen over the course of uh, four or five months just out, out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, that tweet, right, was in a lot of ways when it came out was it made so much sense and it still does. I mean, it's it's historic, right? And for the creator of that tweet to then, you know, create into an NFT and kind of almost like claim ownership, right? You're really claiming ownership now was, was awesome. And I think it sold for some like $2 million or something like that. He ended up selling it for $2.9 million. Yeah. And it was huge, right? And then subsequently you had other people minting their, their tweets and making, you know, thousands of dollars as well. We have the first hashtag, the, the, you know, it's just like random moments in Twitter history that, that people dug up and, and, and placed bids on. And yeah, it's really fascinating to see. Memes, obscure you know, memes, things that I hadn't even seen, but that I was like, whoa, this actually was a really like popular meme. And, you know, so it was like almost like a time machine going back into some of these, these tweets. And that was a different time, right? Like you said, it was, it, you're kind of riding that wave. And if I can fast forward on this thing. Now you have Jack Dorsey's tweet and the guy who bought it right now, he's trying to resell it and nobody was willing to bid more than a couple hundred bucks on it. Yeah. And I was like, if I had known, I didn't even know about the the, the bid, the, the auction. I was like, I think it's worth a couple hundred dollars at least, <laughs> but I guess nobody else did. You know, what does that say about where we've come as a space, regardless of the price, right? Like yeah. that, what is this worth? And does it even matter? You know, does the price even matter? Yeah, I think, you know, there's definitely been an evolution in terms of like buyer's mentality and what they look for and and how they can maximize a return in a lot of cases. And I think for this type of auction, one reason why I think it was problematic from a price perspective is that I don't think that OpenSea is the right venue for this type of asset, right? You're talking about something that is ostensibly very high worth and you're just putting it on a, a site where anyone can bid. And then there is no uh, sort of premium version of OpenSea or a version of OpenSea that caters to high net worth individuals, right? Now, we do see a lot of high value transactions happening on OpenSea. We also got to keep in mind, okay, well, this is an asset that's, you know, it's on Polygon, right? It's not even on Ethereum mainnet uh, and all the transactions would be happening on Polygon as well. And so that's not to try and defend the value of the asset. But I do think from a marketability perspective, you know, the best thing that we had for uh, scent and for valuables when we had the um, tweet initially auctioned was that it was on its own dedicated page. And it was most importantly, promoted by Jack when he was selling it, right? He tweeted it out that it was for sale. Uh, and I think that that carries a lot of weight in these things. And so do I think that the tweet is worth $280 or whatever the bid was? You know, I don't know. It's not my place to say, right? I do think in terms of the mentality of the space and, and trying to evolve, I do think that honestly, people are looking, like if you look at any collection that is really popular on OpenSea, well, any collection on OpenSea period, you'll see this asset or this uh, metric known as floor price, right? People are always tracking the floor price of a given collection. And for tweets, there is incredible variability in the value of any given tweet. The floor price is effectively zero, right? 
And so I don't think that we fit into the investor model of uh, digital assets when it comes to things as ubiquitous as tweets. You know, we've had tens of thousands of, of tweets, I think probably 50,000 at this point, tweets minted. And some of them are just people minting for personal pleasure, just so they can have their own collection. And some of them are indeed these very high value assets. And I think when you have that range, it just introduces different dynamics than you say like a 10,000 PFP collection. You know, I, I kind of want to couple that with then you had valuables, right? Where, where you, you're the marketplace for the, for the, the tweets. And I know you've spoken about this before, but I kind of want to see if you, you know, have a new take on it or a new perspective possibly in the you know last couple of weeks or whatever, since you last spoke about it, but you know, you had a separate NFT marketplace. And I, I imagine that that was very difficult. I imagine that setting something up like that, your own version of an open sea, right. Had its own challenges and you subsequently had to shut it down because you came out and said, you know, there's rampant fraud in the space in, in, in this marketplace. You know, it was probably a tough decision, but you shut it down and, and you had to cut that part of sent off. Could you take me through that process? How difficult was it to reach that decision? And um, looking back on it, you know, is that something you want to maybe revisit at some point in time? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a decision that we didn't take lightly. I think the important thing to keep in mind about that platform that we shut it off on was that that's primarily a community product, right? It's not just a marketplace. Beta.cent.co is a place where people come. It's the social network, right, that we created. And so when like users of the platform see things like fake board apes, it's not just a financial decision. It's like affecting the culture of the, of the site, the experience, uh, and then of the community. And so for us, it was very clear out the gate like when we started getting reports of this, that we had to do something, we had to take action. And fortunately, the volumes on those fake assets were, wasn't ridiculous. But, you know, people were very clearly trying to do people into thinking that legitimate board apes were, were for sale, right? They were marketing them in price points in the thousands of dollars. And you now board apes were a little bit cheaper back then. <laughs> it's crazy how much it changes. But, you know, it, it was very clear that uh, nefarious activity was taking place. And so for us, the community has always been uh, what has really carried that product. And we just acted in the best interest of the community. Now, I will say we do want to re-enable it. And we are working kind of behind the scenes to get it back up and running. And that ex involves not just executing on our own, but really partnering with other companies, other providers who can uh, help us detect fraud and counterfeiting and IP theft. And so we don't have anything to announce on that yet, but we should uh, in the coming months. And we're really excited to get that back up and running. What's interesting to me is I, I, I would have thought from the outside looking in, maybe that you, you had kind of hitched your wagon at that point in time to a marketplace, to an NFT marketplace. But the reality is that you had built a community through Scent over the years and that, you know, that's something that never went away. What was the impact of that marketplace and did it have an impact on your community at all? Yeah, I mean, people were definitely bummed that the monetization component was turned off. You know, at the end of the day, though, we achieved what we wanted to achieve. We still allow users to mint content on the site. But by removing that marketplace component from our site, uh, it ended up curbing a lot of the bad activity that we saw because they couldn't stick a price next to it directly. That didn't stop someone from, say, like, you know, listing it on another platform 
like like an open sea, right? But it just turns out that if we were making it a little bit harder for them to get to the point of listing a counterfeit asset, it ultimately cuts it down enough where, okay, it's no longer an issue that's dominating the site, dominating the feeds, just a bunch of fake content. Yeah. Can you talk about what scent is? Because we haven't really talked about the, the, the at the heart of it. And I, I jumped in and it takes me back, man. It takes me back to like the early 2000s, you know, when we were figuring out like, you know, going, exploring the internet and, and meeting different people and kind of just exploring different ideas. What is scent and, and how would you describe somebody that's looking to kind of, you know, check it out? So scent is a community uh, of people who are really interested in this idea of making a creative income. And, you know, more than just that, uh, we, the company, are providing tools that assist them uh, in that. And our tools are always at this intersection of social media and ownership, right? And so if you look across our different products, our initial, you know, social network is very much in that camp. Even the, the valuables marketplace, it's, it's really about bringing ownership uh, wherever we are creating things, uh, not just on our own platform, but elsewhere. And even with our latest products that's at app.bio, we're wanting to extend that even further and give people not just ownership of their content, but also uh, of the audience that they build. You know, And that stems from a lot of our observations about modern social media and how you have to leave things up to the algorithm a lot of times and hoping to get seen and how we can do better in that regard. That app, that bio. So is that like your LinkedIn bio? Yeah. How is that different from say the current uh, LinkedIn bios like, you know, Linktree and things like that? Yeah. So for us, really the uh, Linktree-esque features are really a Trojan horse, right? We have those, you know, the list of links that you can customize. We have that as a convenience so that you can put something like this in your LinkedIn bio. But really the meat of it is this subscription feature uh, that lives on top uh, above the links when someone goes to your app.bio. And what that enables is a fan or an audience member to subscribe to you directly. And then when you have a message that you want to put out as a creator, you put it out and it blasts it to all the email addresses that are subscribed. And it's not just a normal email uh, that will get lost in an inbox. It's actually a collectible digital asset. So they receive an email saying, you know, you have a new update, come check it out. And then when they read it or experience it, watch it, whatever, they can collect it as an NFT into their wallet with no gas or anything. And we have the sophisticated architecture that handles that process, kind of makes it so that a non-crypto user doesn't need to think about all of these things, right? We set you up with a wallet, we pay the gas fees. You can still transfer the asset out if you're a pro to your MetaMask or whatever wallet you use, but it's really about, you know, we call it Web 2.5, where we want to give people the Web 3 benefits, but we also are one foot in the door of Web 2. And Web 2 contacts are email addresses. Web 3 is the ETH address. And we hope that by giving creators both of them, there's no sense of compromise, you know. So if I'm a creator and I, let's say the things that I create are, are newsletters. So someone can will receive an email and, and, and get my get my newsletter and put, and get it as an NFT as well? Yeah, yeah. They have to open it and click collect on it, though. You know, it's not that they automatically receive it. They have to take that step of engagement and actually go to the page and click collect. It's really cool if someone, you know, someone really enjoyed a newsletter of mine. <laughs> well, the way we think about it is, you know, there's a lot of 
ubiquitous web two metrics like the like and the share or the retweet. And we think of this as a web three native version of it, right? If, if there's something that you genuinely appreciate, why shouldn't you be able to hold on to it outside of the platform? Right. And that's what collecting does, right? It gives you a copy in your wallet as part of your archive. And this is all memorabilia, right? You could have a fire newsletter that you drop that, you know, changes the course of something in the NFT space. And like 30 years later, that's looked back upon as a relic. And, you know, I'm one of 10 people that collected that and I cherish that. And and that's the idea, right? We want to be able to make it so that our digital footprints aren't like, you know, lost in Facebook's data centers or lost in any, any, any one company, you know, and that really starts by with uh, us claiming ownership of it. Right now, that feature app.bio, you're accepting creators right now. Yes. But you're, you're kind of looking, I don't want to say you're looking for certain creators, but it's not right now. It's not open to the public. What artists or creators are you looking for at the moment? And how can somebody that's, you know, uh, interested being a creator be able to take part? Yeah, honestly, we're very flexible. We don't have uh, a predefined caricature of what type of creator because we want to ultimately build something that serves any creator who is looking to grow an audience and build their distribution. And so for us, based on the tool that we have today, we're seeing uh, newsletter writers, we're seeing digital artists, which the NFT space has like, you know, quite a few of. Uh, really embracing the product. We're also really excited and talking with uh, a handful of musicians. We, we're really excited at the potential of musicians releasing EPs through app.bio and getting their fans collecting their early works. But it's really it's really a wide spectrum. And so if you or anyone listening is excited about the idea of connecting with your audience directly through not only reaching them directly by email, but having them collect your work and you potentially making money on secondaries of those assets, definitely reach out. You know, we're, we're very open to chatting with you. A couple more questions, uh, Cameron. I know, I know we were talking a little bit about, uh, you, you seem really, really relaxed today. You know, and we were talking a little bit before we got on air about, about the craziness that's happening right now with NFTs. And we've also mentioned Twitter and Twitter can be crazy. And it's hard to separate fact from fiction, you know, somebody who's being comical or someone who's telling a true story, but on the feeds right now are people that bought at a certain price on certain projects, right? NFT projects. And, and now they're saying, and I laugh cause I don't, I don't know why I'm laughing actually, but I don't think it's completely true, but they're talking about how they're financially ruined and, 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 you know, they don't know what to do anymore. And I think, and I think some of those stories are true. I, I, I really have to believe that they are true. And, but then some, some people are just completely outlandish. And I, and I say all that as somebody who's been in the space for a while, like, where are we right now? I mean, it, you know, has, has the, the market kind of went too far and, and, and it was just had to come back down or have the motives behind it kind of changed and, and it's kind of a time to kind of reflect on, on what it is that people are consuming. I'll say this. I think that for NFTs, they've only existed in a bull market, Right. I don't think we've seen a proper crypto winter with NFTs. The last crypto winter was 2017 into 2018. And then, you know, through those next several years, people do talk about these winters shortening as the space gets more supported, more mainstream. But 
I think that there's still a lot of very speculative capital in the markets. And I think that it will continue to have these pretty violent oscillations and winters. And so uh, there's that aspect. And then there's also the macro aspect of nobody understanding what the heck is going on with the economy, with inflation, with people still looking to spend a lot of money, but also supply chain shortages and living in fear of, of you know, a recession. And so I think that we're at a very interesting point in, in terms of the economy. And I'm not an economist. I can't predict when things will correct or how long they will be going down. But I do think that the NFT markets have yet to see uh, a true kind of, you know, financial uh, reckoning or, or a bear market. Um, and that does concern me. It concerns me for a number of reasons, not just the people that are um, collecting these digital assets, but for the creators who rely on them for income, right? People have started to depend on NFTs as uh, an income stream as creators. And that's what Scent has always been about, right? Reflecting that creative value back to you in financial form. And and so I am genuinely concerned that in the event of a like prolonged downturn where people aren't interested in buying NFTs or don't have the means to buy them, that it will more so than investors brutally affect creators. And that makes me concerned. You've mentioned your creators a lot of time, multiple times on the podcast, right? Which, you know, says something about what your belief is and kind of why you have your platform. Could you give me an idea of who the, those creators are? You know, when we think of creators, I think of these big time artists, right? That have become extremely rich off of NFTs. Who's the backbone, right? Who's the heart and soul of your of your platform? What are those creators like? So it's a lot of digital artists. So Sense Origins, well, really, it, crypto art was our, our roots, right? And a lot of the crypto artists in the space that are now very big, like Coldy and Hackatow and, and all of these other ones who have gone on to be very successful, a lot of them were early users of, of beta.cent.co. In, in full transparency, a lot of them spend their time on Discord now and crypto Twitter, and they're not active on Cent anymore. But that's really our core, right? It is the crypto art movement. And so these are the types of creators who I fear most uh, because a lot of them, yeah, like they've devoted themselves full time to crypto art. And, you know, if, if the market kind of turns on them, I'm concerned for their sort of, uh, economic well-being. That being said, the early early artists, uh, you know, they made out quite well. Uh, <laughs> some of those really vintage, uh, you know, 2019 crypto artists have uh, gone on to do really great things. So, what's the future uh, of Scent? And if I compare that question with you talked we talked about earlier about the marketplace, what does that new marketplace that maybe you're ready to launch at some point in time? What is that going to look like, and how will it be different from? I guess the first edition. Yeah. So we really want to create a system that isn't permissioned. We don't want to gatekeep uh, minting of NFTs by, you know, something like KYC. That is a really easy way to minimize the problem, right? If you have your identity at stake and that things can be tied back to you. But we really want to keep it open because that is like the type of inclusive vibe that we want to build. Uh, and so ideally, that the future isn't much different. It's just none of the bad, right? <laughs> uh, and and so we're we're talking with potential partners around you know image fraud detection, 
there's been a lot of cases where, you know, DeviantArt is a great example. Like they're working on a protocol to detect all counterfeit images and flag them for DMCA and sort of, you know, retroactively addressing counterfeit content post-mint. Ideally for us, we'd be able to do it pre-mint, right? Before something has ever been minted onto the blockchain through one of our services, we want to be able to flag it and say that this is something that doesn't belong here because it's you're clearly not the owner. Or if you are the owner, like let's let's work to like verify that. And, and so that's the direction that we want to take. And then longer term, ideally, we want the solution to share the same benefits that NFTs have. Meaning, let's say that OpenSea does detect that something is counterfeit, right? What is the protocol for an OpenSea communicating with Ascent or another platform that this is a counterfeit asset? Right. There is none right now, except through maybe like email channels. But shouldn't the same tools that power NFT interoperability be able to power communication between these platforms? And so that's the space that we're interested in exploring further. You know, if everything that a creator has can be moved between platforms, why can't the platforms themselves take advantage of that that technology? And so that's what we're also researching in at the moment. And that can lead us into a whole other discussion, you know, with the different platforms that are arising. And you're right, it can get a little bit confusing, right? Like you have um, different blockchains that are a part of different platforms. And but that's another conversation. Cameron, how can people like mostly, you know, get in touch with you or, or, or read or, or listen to what you're involved with, you know, latest news and on, on what's up with Scent, what's up with you, Twitter, Instagram, where, where, where can they check you out? I'm big on Twitter, not big in sense of like person, like, I'm really into using Twitter, the product, <laughs> which makes sense, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I'm C Hijazi, H-E-J-A-Z-I. And so, yeah, reach out to me there and then definitely follow Scent on Twitter. It's just at Scent. Um, and if you want to check out our suite of products, just go to Scent.co. It'll actually redirect you to our app.bio page, which just has all of the links. And then you can subscribe to us for those great NFT updates. That's so great. Cameron, thank you for, for taking the time to speak with us. Great site. If I could say, I, I would say that you guys are one of the OGs in this space. I mean, seriously. So it was really nice talking to you and, and thanks for giving us some insight. For sure. Great talking with you as well. Best of luck in the coming months. And I'm sure you guys are going are gonna to keep building and doing awesome things. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> Have a good night. Yeah, you too. In our interview, Cameron's passion for the community he's built came through. His thoughts on the space shine a light on his role as a steward, allowing other creators to create and thrive. A big thanks to Cameron for joining me on the podcast. He's one of the great voices in the NFT space. And a big thanks to you for spending part of your day with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, let others know about it or leave a review or a comment. Until the next time, take care.